I am Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in market influencing executive priorities. And we have two guests with us today. On the phone, we have Aaron Streeter, VP of Training and Certification Programs at Forrester. And in the studio, we have Sam Stern, Principal Analyst, to discuss the strategic lever that is learning. We envision some fairly far-reaching transformational strategies, digital, CX, becoming customer-obsessed, you name them, and all of them dealt with people changing. Mm -hmm. And like we typically do, we underestimated how hard it is to get people to move. And unless you get people to, unless the human capital moves, you don't really achieve much. I mean, we're start, we, we already see those results. Digital transformation wasn't very successful. CX is sort of stalled out in this form because there's essentially a learning component, a change component that was missing in the initial strategy development. Is that like a fair beginning? Yeah, I mean, I, I always think of it as you, you need a CX team that's sort of the keeper of the flame, the beating heart of the transformation effort, of, at least around customer experience, and they just didn't have the skills or the knowledge base or a uh, sustainable way of acquiring them for any new people on the team. So you had a, a company that needed 1,000 people capable of doing it, and you had 10 and how do you get the other other teams to get? They needed ten, and they had one. Yeah, and then they wanted to get to a hundred, but had no way of doing that. So it was sort of like any increment they couldn't get to the next increment. Right? We have one person who knows CX here. We want our entire CX team, and then ideally we'd like all of our champions or ambassadors, and then ideally we'd like all of our key stakeholders. But the first increment is impossible because there's no good learning out there. So is it scale and change, or is it because that's a question on scale? Yeah. Is change part of this puzzle with the EX index, other things we're doing to say when you roll these things out, people just, they either weren't ready or they didn't like it or they were uncomfortable, whatever word you want to put to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I th my, my experience talking to organizations about this is virtually anything they roll out, they don't have a change management plan for that yep. is up to the task. Yep. And so because this has not existed... I mean, is this easily one of the ways that it's hindered transformation? One of the ways that I have been talking about this with, with clients is like the, the risk in um, just communicating the vision or the future state with, with no real plan behind it is that you build enthusiasm, but you, you fail to actually empower employees to act. And so if they, they might be excited and, and bought into where you want to go, but unless you tell them how to help you get there, um, they're either going to do nothing or they're, and get frustrated or they're going to invent, you know, behaviors that may or may not be in line with what you're trying to accomplish. Mm. It doesn't do to just get people excited about something like CX because, you know, they're not going to have a way to actually channel that enthusiasm for, for good. Is it providing a roadmap for the organization to make the changes or... Is that one way to think about it? I don't necessarily it? know that. I mean, so there should be a roadmap. There should be a change management plan. And learning is an, and training is an important part of that roadmap. But it's not the roadmap it's itself. It's not the roadmap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think to, to build on the point Aaron's making, which is, is a good one, the enthusiasm, largely, in, especially in the minds of employees, they already have it. They don't mm -hmm. need you to inspire them to do this. They want specificity about how we're going to do it. And, and so the learning plan that feels tailored to your organization is a way of exposing that we actually have been thoughtful about this and planful about this. So it is, 
it's not a roadmap, but it is for the individual employee something that feels specific and and detailed enough that you're, I can see you leaders, you CX team are actually serious about this. So one of the things that we said earlier on the customer obsessed side of the house was that it was like a, it was a game of rhetoric. Who could put it in the annual letter? It was like collateral was going to win the day, but we really did need to operationalize that crap because that was really hard. And this is sort of the same comment, which is it was turning into a high level conversational game. And the specificity says, you know, tangibly, you're not where you need to be. This is the skills you need. This is what it actually means. Or like model behaviors and that yeah. sort of yeah. thing. Show me as an individual employee a set of behaviors that you have evidence that gives you confidence that those are ones that lead to good customer experience outcomes for my customers or my contribution to that for my role. And I can compare that to what I do or my manager and, and my, you know, along with me can compare that to what I do. And now we can have a fact-based specific conversation about whether I am customer centric. But if you're just at telling me to be customer centric and I'm telling you, well, I come to work every day with full intention of, of making our customers happy. So when you tell me that, I feel like you don't get it. You don't, you don't see me here and see me what I'm trying to do. I, I'm not engaging in this conversation with you because I, I feel like we're starting from a point of you blaming me without you bringing anything to the table about what you need to do. Who's the you in that sentence? Yeah, so the you would be leaders. Yep. Leaders who had put it in their annual letter that we are going yeah, to yeah. become a customer-obsessed organization or whatever it is, and me as the employee saying, I'm here ready for that. You know, you need to put the support environment around me where my existing orientation to doing that can be channeled and harnessed in the right ways. So if you were to rephrase that strictly as an advocate of the leaders, what are they saying? I mean, what, when you talk with them, when they say, hey, we unleash the CX, my employees don't get it, we're not ready for change, I can't get force multipliers out there. Like, what's the leader's viewpoint of, of this? Because you're giving the employee viewpoint. What's the other viewpoint? Yeah, the leaders have been um, thinking about the, the change part of this equation for far longer than the rank-and-file employees have. Yep. And so usually, by the time that it's starting to seep through to employees, some of that specificity around specific behaviors, some of the evidence of where there are gaps in what they do every day with what they should be doing every day, leaders are exhausted at repeating themselves ad nauseum. And so there's a gap there, though, because it's just starting to permeate the rank-and-file employees at a point at which leaders have run out of different ways to say the same message. And so there's a real disconnect here that yeah. I, I get, but I tell leaders over and over again, you have to keep going. You have to, when you are tired of repeating the message, that's just when it is starting to uh, resonate with your employees. It seems crazy because you've said it a hundred times, but I promise you they've maybe felt like they've heard it three or four at that point. So from that perspective, this is a little bit like a strategic ditch. I mean, they put yeah. these strategies in place, but they missed a huge component. This was a basic tangible tools and technique question. Like they, they just weren't prepped to go. Yeah. And I, I would also say there's, there's a, um, there's a buildup effect, you know, where, where the state change is going to come near the end and mm. you're doing all these things that are, that are actually creating, you know, building up your capabilities, building up the potential, building up a pattern that isn't yet recognized by employees, by customers, but is about to be. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's this gap where we, we've been doing all the right things and the customer scores haven't changed yet. We've been delivering this message and the employees don't seem to be, you know, it doesn't, doesn't seem to be landing yet. Mm -hmm. But it, in many of those cases, you are doing the right things and it's about to. So but they often yeah. give up near the finish line, right. which is a real tragedy. So we had a discussion on culture and I'm going to go through the math I thought I heard, which is, you know, culture typically takes five years, five years plus 
typical tenure that people drive in culture is less than five years. So you have a change of leadership, right. five years, no one has patience for five years. So you, right. you sort of, you time out. How does this relate to culture? Does this depend on culture, displace culture because it's more tangible? It is the animation of culture. What is the relationship between culture and learning? Yeah. So it, um, if you have a culture that, um, encourages learning, if you have a culture that is already customer centric, um, then this sort of seamlessly fits in to either of those types of cultures. If you don't, then often this is part of a, um, and it should be hopefully a toolkit of, of things you're doing, not just the only thing you're doing, but it should be part of a set of things you're doing to change the culture. And it's and it's and it's a part of it's one element of showing employees that you are doing the the work the hard work necessary to help them change their behaviors. Yeah, and I would I would put the word um, accelerate acceleration in there so that this is a tool in the toolkit that helps you accelerate that change. So if we're tapping into you know a pain point that leaders have, it's like. I'm sure you feel like you're exhausted by repeating yourself a hundred times. And this, this doesn't, you know, what we have to offer doesn't replace the need to personalize that story, to keep telling that story, but it's something that helps to catalyze, helps to accelerate, you know, helps mobilize people in that direction so that your message is amplified and scaled in a way that you just can't do by reaching people at a quarterly meeting or, you know, through an email newsletter or something like that. So we have a philosophy or emerging philosophy that says change management is not the right principle because change management assumes you go from point A to point B and then you're done. Right. This is adaptability. Is this not just learning techniques but relearning how to learn? It's sort of a very active piece of research I'm working on right now. Transformations, companies want the pace of transformation to increase and want the number of transformations they can execute to increase. Yep. So we're not just trying to become customer-centric. We're also trying to become a digital organization, agile, um, you know, a automated workplace, all these things. And we want to do as many of them as possible. In order to do that, you need to build within your employees um, not just ability to withstand change, but ability to thrive off of change, get stronger based on change. And so you need to create an environment where they feel secure and safe that a transformation coming or transformations coming are not something to be feared, but something to be looked forward to because it will create new opportunities and growth. And part of that is putting into employees uh, techniques for faster and more continuous learning. So I think about things like, and this would be in addition to our learning, but things like deliberate practice, um, the, the idea to really sort of self-evaluate and practice specific skills in a repeatable way that gets you makes you better, faster. Uh, beginner's mind, looking anew and looking with fresh eyes at things you've done a thousand times. Um, there's this great concept that comes out of uh, gambling, where you look at um, you look at not the outcome, you know, did I win or lose that hand of poker, but how did I play it? Did I make all the right bets probabilistically? Because I won't always win. I sometimes get beat even when I played it the right way. And being able to evaluate your performance independent of the outcomes so that you get better at performing in those kinds of uncertain situations. You add that to all of the specific training that we're, we're providing that makes people more skilled in new fields and emerging areas that you can't get trained in in university. You add to that as well opportunities for um, trials in new roles or in new contexts or in unusual contexts, right? Think of something like uh, Walmart using virtual reality for uh, Black Friday training for workers who are, haven't seen a Black Friday 
uh, shopping day at a Walmart store before. I can't imagine what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and you know, they have more than 100% turnover in retail staff each year. So most workers, uh, almost by definition, are facing their first Black Friday every year after Thanksgiving when it hits. Um, it's Very all large. of that that you want to put into workers so that they feel like they are fully capable of handling this chaotic, uncertain, high-stress environment that is the modern workplace. So do you see any correlation to the idea that like digitally native, digitally skilled people are just sort of, they're, they're already in the pool, but people who aren't that way that need to skill up into the digital world, sort of this, this comment about our economy having two parts to it. How much of it is the non-digital people coming into the digital world or, you know, people who weren't sort of brought in in that way being brought forward? This is a gig economy. This is the whole issue of how do I bring semi-skilled or unskilled people into a different pool? How much, how much are you seeing that as a catalyst here? I, I don't hear that much from the people that we talk to or for, for the skills that we're trying to train. I think, I think the gap maybe that exists rather than being, I mean, digital maybe is a factor in, in just the way that you show up, the way you think about approaching problems. A lot of people are trying to train employees to approach things with agile with design thinking, you know, take an iterative approach, figure out how you can start small, figure out how to involve the customer. So those, those are the things that I see as, as kind of, you know, maybe um, there's a generational divide or, or something that needs to be bridged um, when they, they want to instill that mindset of not just what does it mean to be customer-centric, but what does it mean to really approach all the problems that you, you have to solve um, with a user in mind. So... If you look at it from an economic standpoint, you have you have a person who has a salary, you know, sort of base and variable, and their full cost is their load, their fully loaded rate, which includes health insurance stuff like that. But it rarely includes a learning component. I mean, learning is done outside of that structure. So it either, let's say, there's ten people, three people may benefit, seven people don't, because it was never part of the game. Yeah. So is part of our position in marketplaces that irrespective of where the economy goes, that you have to bake this in because it is a, it is a, a, minimum, capa- a minimum need in a market that is this dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the highest performers, the highest paid performers in any field, you know, you take professional athletes, professional musicians, they all have full-time coaches. Uh, this has yep. been a sort of big message recently coming out of Silicon Valley. Uh, I think Eric Schmidt, uh, from Google wrote a book about the, the trillion-dollar coach, this guy Bill Campbell, who is sort of instrumental in helping the, the Google founders and some of the other people become the leaders that they are. Um, it's this idea that everybody needs a coach, right? The best tennis players in the world have a coach. Everyone should have this kind of ongoing learning atmosphere and environment, and that costs money, and that takes time, right? It implies, and it rightfully implies, that you won't maybe be doing your primary tasks at work as much as a percentage of your total time because you'll be spending more time in learning and in, um, and in getting coaching and feedback and in reflecting mm-hmm. on your performance. And now, you wouldn't want it to be probably to the level that a professional athletes are where it's, you know, it's two hours a week of performance and the rest of the time preparing for performance. But you would want it where you're spending more time um, off task so that the time on task is so much more productive. I think there's a lot more leverage that most employees, most organizations could get for their employees there than they do today, where most employees spend most of their time uh, working on primary tasks yeah. rather than preparing to work better on their primary tasks. So strictly from a voice of client, what do they say before they jump into the pool? 
they say, I got to have this because blank, or I'm really frustrated with blank. What's the, what's the thing that, that, that in a practical state, practical way brings them into the pool? On the, on the certification side, so for CX leaders, um, they, they get in the pool because they see the promise of alignment, building alignment, and being able to scale their, their vision or their strategy in the way that they need it to scale, as opposed to, you know, for example, um, CX sort of taking hold, but different departments inventing their own personas and, you know, causing CX leaders not being able to sleep at night. Um, that's a real thing that we hear really often. Um, so there's that alignment piece. They kind of see the ability to, to get the message beyond their team of two, five, ten people and get it into all the departments where they need this to start happening the right way. Yeah, and I, I think I would add to that that they will often, you know, sort of point the finger at people like me and say, you're telling us we need to do this and do that and have this skill and this knowledge, and we don't, and it's not out there. So we need it. We yep. need to have this. You're telling us we need to have it, and we agree with you. So now, can you know, let's, so great, you have offer certification. We're going to do that because we need to be bringing these skills, this knowledge into our organization uh, on a regular basis, frankly, for any new person we hire, any new stakeholder who we want to have the baseline of knowledge where they're a good partner to us on this on this initiative. Budgets are typically held by people who may not be on the softer side of things. CFOs, others, you know, they want to see the numbers. Digital is a, a numbers game. I mean, people want to see the hard realities. Learning can be seen as a soft science. And so it may not show up as a priority. It may be seen as other, a luxury or this or that. How did you connect that dot to make it not a ancillary part of the game, but something central and something as a core economic that got people who may not inherently value that kind of stuff to value that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I think we backed into it. I, I did. I backed into that a little bit um, because we were responding to the demand from our CX customers. Um, and so trying to understand that the problem that they were telling us about made, made it click for me that, oh, okay, this isn't about them, you know, going to their HR department and asking for better training or asking for more support from L&D. This is about, you know, a critical business need, needing to mobilize people to change as a part of a transformation. Um, and there is only, you know, there are a lot of different tools to do that, but, you know, a powerful tool to do that is, is training. And it kind of made me reframe what we do as a company, you know, in a lot of ways, thinking about all the teaching that we do that we don't call teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, anytime we have a workshop, um, anytime that we're brought in for a speech or, or something like that, um, you know, we're already doing this. So, so really what we're doing now is, is changing the form factor, making it more accessible, more scalable than having Sam come in for a workshop, which can only reach so many people at one time. So, you know, just, just really challenging ourselves to think, okay, we're, we're, these people are telling us what they need to be successful. Just because we're calling it learning doesn't place it outside the category of what we do anyway and mm. what we should be pushing ourselves to do. So, Aaron, who's driving CX learning at companies today? It is the CX leader. It's the same person who's saying, I need these skills. I need my team to have these skills. Yeah. I need my champions in other departments to have these skills. 
um, and we need to we need to reach the broad base of the pyramid. And so they are still the ones initiating that conversation. They're still the ones making the investment. Um, they will ask their HR counterparts or L&D counterparts to bless the program. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll bring them into the conversation to kind of kick the tires. Um, but ultimately, I mean, for the conversations that we've been a part of, it's, it's typically L&D saying, yeah, checks out, looks good. And, you know, if you wanted us to build something like this, you can either get in line or, you know, tell us where to find this content. So taking in this conversation, we know that sometimes corporations can get swept up in the buzzwords of the day, like culture, design thinking. So for CX leaders and leaders in general looking to drive transformation, how can they couch this initiative in a way that doesn't necessarily get lumped into this is just a buzzword thing? Yeah, I, I would I would think of it as um, those buzzwords are um, manifestations of people noticing different elements of what needs to surround employees to help them be successful. If our culture norms, if the default isn't uh, customer-centric in our thinking and in how we behave and in how we work together, and then that guides us to, well, design thinking is maybe a tool, a sort of framework to you know, push us more towards thinking customer first. And then we think about some of the employee experience elements and think, well, this explains why people are distracted and frustrated and, you know, you know, sort of throw their hands up when they have to go find information for a question because it's not at their fingertips or feel like they don't have permission to do this because they don't. They're not, they're not empowered. Um, so I do think it's, it's company, companies and, you know, sort of in general, people noticing different elements that fit around an employee or group of employees or teams of employees that explain why or why not they are performing. So culture is a part of it, absolutely. Learning is a part of it, absolutely. Design thinking is a you know, manifestation of one way of learning to be more customer-centric, to be more open to asking questions rather than jumping to solutions. That's a part of it. But I, I think at the bottom of it all is what is the context in which the employee is trying to be productive in their job? Both of you, I thank you so much for your time today. It was a lovely discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Trying to unlock the full potential of your human capital? Forrester offers individual and enterprise learning programs designed to build skills and competencies in areas like CX and Zero Trust. To learn more, go to for.com slash learning. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash learning. Thanks for listening.